1 Samuel 17, uh, verse 32-33. You, you, you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath. And, um, you know, he, he's taking a charcuterie board to his brothers, some cheese and crackers. And, um, and he comes up to Saul and he says, um, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, oh, go fight him. And this is the phrase that I'd never seen before that popped off, like sprung off the podcast to me. It says, don't be ridiculous. Saul replied, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. Don't be ridiculous. I want to bring a message to you around this thought today. Um, reasonable or ridiculous? Reasonable or ridiculous? By the way, tonight I want to talk to you about a strategy for struggle. If you've ever been through a struggle, I want to talk, so come back tonight. But today we're going to talk about reasonable. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Open our hearts and minds. We need to hear from you. Speak to us. We're ready. We're leaning in. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Have a seat. Have a seat. Um, hey, I want to show you my family if I could real quick. Look at that crew. Look at that crew. That's my wife. Tammy on the end. Uh, she... We pastored the church together for 16 years. Um, that's my oldest, Owen. He's 14. I have a high schooler, y'all. I don't even know what to do about that. And um, just got a cell phone. 14, just got his first cell phone, and I have it on lockdown. I, don't, I hate it all. I hate all the technology. I, in the, I rebuke it all. And then right now, as a dad, that's my daughter, Faith. Uh, she's 12 in seventh grade, going on 21. Y'all, middle school drama is another level. Middle school cheerleader drama. It's a whole nother level. This is my little girl, Abigail. She's five. And uh, we, we did take a big break. It was intentional. And then Jonas, with the cool hair, we adopted him when he's five days old. And he will be three tomorrow. That's why daddy's taking a 5.30 a.m. flight to get back to the three-year-old tomorrow. So uh, we're, we're honored to be here. So how many of you know that if you have, if you have children, you'll know this. If you don't, I'm going to teach you something that will be helpful to you. There are two types of trips in your life. If you have kids, the ones they come on, it's called a trip. If they don't come, it's called a vacation. Can I get any amens from the Trip is when they come. Vacation is when they don't come. You saw how many I have. A trip. We're going through the airport. Up until recently, it was two pack and plays, two strollers suitcases stacked, pushing that cart, we're that family. Um, but, but my wife and I went on a vacation this summer. It was just the two of us. Um, we actually came here for a few days, got in a round of golf with your pastor, and uh, then we, we flew out and went on a, a week away with a few of our friends. And so I'm, I'm, a, I'm the kind of vacationer where I don't want to, I don't want to do anything. I don't understand you people that like pack your day. Like, we're going on this excursion, and we're going to go walk this, we're going to go hike this mountain, we're going to go see, I don't want to see it, see me a picture. I want to get and lay by the pool. I want to get up when I want to. I want to eat something. I want to take a nap. When I get too hot, I'm going to get in the pool so I can cool off and get back in that chair. Then I'm going to go to the room and take a nap because I'm tired from all I did all day. Come on, somebody. Then I'm going to get dressed nice, and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to eat more than I should. And I'm going to go back and repeat that the next day. Well, that's, that's typical vacation, but we decided to do one excursion. And I was like, okay, we'll do one. It was kind of cool sounding. There were six of us, and they were like, I can, we can get you on a private boat, and you'll go swim in these caves. 
And uh, one of them, they, I don't even know if this was true, you know, they'll, they'll, there's no way to verify. They said one of them is where Pirates of the Caribbean was form, filmed, and we were like, cool, so we did it. You swim out, you jump off the boat, you swim out, you look around the caves. It, my wife was enjoying it until my friend clapped and bats started flying out. Um, then she was like, I'm back on the boat. But the very last stop was a cliff jumping. 25-foot cliff, I was like, this is my last day of being 44. I'm going to jump off this cliff. I'm still 22 in my mind. So we all go out. Me, my friend Matt's with me on the front row here. He came with me. And so we, a bunch of us go up. We go up, except for his wife and my wife. They were the smart ones. They stayed on the boat. So we jump up, and you get up to the top, and these guys are there. They're locals, and they're like, we're not lifeguards. We're just here to make you sure you read this sign, which said this could cause bodily harm or injury. You could die, you know, all that. So we read it. We're like, roger that. So we go out. The first guy that goes, he's my chief of staff. He's like been on special task force to take out terrorists. And so he's like all about it. And he jumps off straight as a pencil down. I was like, all right, I can do this. So I, I go, and I'm second, and it's 25 feet. And I'm like, I want to make sure I don't hit any rocks. So I jump and look down instead of staying stiff. Yeah. So I'm bending my body. So I hit the water 25 foot in the air. I hit the water bent like this on this part of my legs. And I come up knowing I've hurt myself. I swim back to the boat and the the water was all crazy because there were lots of boats around. I felt like Ashton Kutcher in that diver movie, you know, with Kevin. Like I was and I get on the boat and I'm trying not to act like I'm hurt real bad. And my wife goes, you okay?" I was like, nope, this ain't good. My back is killing me. And she said, uh, she goes, when did you know it was bad? I said, halfway down. I, like, I knew this was not turning out good. This was like the second day of vacation, y'all. So I couldn't get to a doctor all week I'm in pain. Anybody else like me, when something bad happens, your mind can go to the ditch fast. Like I had myself in back surgery. I had like ruptured disc in my mind. I was like, I'll never be in the floor with my two-year-old again. Like I will, I'll, I'll have to give the church and the school over to somebody else. No one's going to come see a guy preaching on a walker, you know, coming on cross stage. Like I just, I went all these places in my mind. I was like, I've got to start playing it a little more safe with life. Like I'm, I even had the thought I'll sell my motorcycle, but then I rebuked that devil in the name of Jesus. I was like, that can't happen. And but all these things started going through my mind. I was like, Daniel, you got to start playing a little more safe. Like, you're 45 tomorrow. Like, what are you thinking? And, and have you lost your mind? And I started thinking, I've got to be a little bit more reasonable in my life. And here's what the Spirit of God said to me. He said, you may need to in your body, but don't dare be that way in your faith. And here's what I think. Here's what I think happened in the last 18 to 20 months and maybe in the last years in the life of some of us is this, is that we've been told over and over what you can't do. And this isn't a statement about how things were handled in different states and localities. Hear me, all right? I ain't even come to get into that. But you've been told where you can't go and what you can't do and who you can't see and, and, and you can't go to the hospital and you can't be there when the birth is and you can't go to the nursing home and all the can'ts, if you're not careful, it'll begin to bleed into your faith where you begin to think, well, I can't dream and I can't believe God for big things and I can't trust that maybe my marriage will turn around or I, I can't believe and we begin to go, I'll just begin to play it safe. I'll begin to settle. Let me say it this way. There is a Saul in every one of your life. 
that is in your ear telling you what you can't. David, don't be ridiculous. But David walks up on the scene, and, and I didn't read it in the text, but he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is coming against the armies of Israel? What David was saying, some of you are like, why are we talking about surgery on Sunday? <laughs> what David was saying is, why is one who is not under the covenant of God causing those who are under the covenant of God to walk in fear? This would be my question to you today. Why are you allowing things that are not under the hand of God to cause you to step back because you do have the power of God. My Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. So why would you step back in fear and live at a level of reasonableness. I just want to be reasonable. I don't want to get too crazy. I don't want to get too ridiculous in my, my faith. I don't want to get too... I think there's a story in the New Testament in the book of Acts that, that really gives us a picture of this thought of living reasonable or living ridiculous when it comes to our great faith. What good words you've had. Your pastor talked about Abraham, the founder. What a great word from Pastor Omar last week, right? I love this thought that trials come. I should be more concerned about what God's doing in me than what's happening around me. I want us to look at Acts chapter 3. And the Bible says that Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. And each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. If you, you know your Bible that Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, the same Luke that is the writer of the gospel Luke. Can we be a little Bible nerd for a moment? All right. And so I love that Dr. Luke is a detailed guy. How many of you are thankful that your doctor's detailed? <laughs> you don't want to go and be like, I think your problem's somewhere in here. <laughs> Come on, y'all with me online. Like, you, you want him to be like, no, this is the specific problem right here. And, and I love the detail of Luke. I love that he says that, that this man has been lame since his birth. We don't even know his name. We only know his issue. Just as a side note, I love that God doesn't define us by our issue. But he's been lame since his birth, so never has he known what it is to put his feet underneath him and them carry the weight of his body. Never has he known what it is to take a step. Think about this. Every day he is carried to this gate called Beautiful to beg money from people. And on this day, Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray. I love that, that the Bible says that we plan our ways, but God orders our steps. I, lo I love that there's a, a divine intersection about to take place in this man's life. Peter and John didn't know that they were going to be used that day. And this man didn't know that he was going to meet two men that could help him in a way that no one else had helped him that day. But they're both going up. Peter and John are going up to pray. I love the details. I'm not a detail guy. I'm a big picture guy. You know, my wife's a detail person. Tell me the details. What happened? I was like, it was good. How <laughs> was 9 o'clock service? Awesome. My wife will be like, well, we got there at this time, and then we sat and had this conversation. Are y'all, anybody, any detail? You want all, Yeah, I don't like the details. Just give me the big picture. <laughs> Luke gives us the details, but he, but he says that the man is, is by the city gate, and, 
And this is, um, this is a reasonable place for the man to lay and even a strategic place. And the reason being is that Jewish tradition believed that it was your moral responsibility to care for the poor. Some scholars even say that there was an understanding among Jewish people that you were to treat them as though they were family. So it's a strategic move to be by the city gate at the time of prayer. So the most religious people are coming up. So there is a, a potential for the most income. Are you, I mean, just, are y'all with me? Like, it's not spiritual, it's strategic that he's laying there. But it's ironic to me that the man is laying by the gate, outside the gate, when there's a prayer meeting happening inside the gate. It's ironic to me that he's outside asking for money when he could be inside asking for a miracle. And I think it represents so many of us in our walk with Jesus is that we settle to be outside the gate. We may be in the church. I'm talking metaphorically that we settle to live outside the gate. That, that, that maybe, maybe some point in our life we jumped off the cliff and said, learn my lesson, never do that again. That, that, we, that we served and we didn't get what we thought we would get out of serving. So learn my lesson, never do that again. We were generous and it didn't turn out the way we thought our generosity should turn out. So we said never jump off the cliff again. And so instead of continuing to press in and stay inside the gate in the prayer meeting where the presence of God is, the power of God is, and the potential for the miracle lies, we determined we'll just sit outside the gate. And so we, we metaphorically set outside. Uh, we, we've got fire insurance. We, we know we're going to heaven, but we're not living to the fullness of everything God has for us. We're happy just to set outside the gate and, and just hope somebody, some, somebody will come by and throw something in our jar. We're good just to sit outside the gate and settle for reason. We see other people getting the miracle. We, we see marriages healed. We see lives being changed. We see people uh, reaching their potential and, and God doing amazing things. But we're just, we're happy to be laid outside the gate. Just each day begging for money. This is what's uh, fascinating to me is that he asked for money when Peter and John walked by. He could have asked for a miracle. It makes me think that, that our level of expectation is revealed in the level of our request. The, the, man, the man didn't even think to ask for a miracle. All he thought was to ask for money. And some of us can get so beat down in our life, so, so disappointed and so frustrated, we don't even think to ask for something greater. We're fine just to take the crumbs. We're fine just to, it doesn't even enter our mind to go, no, God, I speak to that cancer and say, come out of that body right now. We, but, but we don't even think to ask that because we just settled here. We don't think to get up and go, no, my child will be planted in the house of the Lord all the days of their life. They will bear fruit. We don't even think to ask that because we've settled for out here. We don't even think to ask for promotion. We don't even think to ask for blessing because we've so gotten reasonable in our faith. And maybe at some point we tried. But we jumped and it hurt. We jumped and it didn't feel like we thought it would feel. It didn't produce. But I gave the miracle offering last year, Pastor, and I, I haven't yet seen what I was believing for. And so instead we decide, go, I don't know if I'm going to do that again. And I get it. I honestly get it. I think sometimes we, we settle at the level of reasonable. 
I think sometimes because we, we feel unworthy to believe for anything greater. Some of us are like, y'all can ask for all that miracle stuff. I'm just happy to like, that God hasn't like zapped me with a taser gun. If you knew my past, if you knew the life I lived, if you knew the things I, if you knew what I did yesterday. And so we feel a level of unworthiness. Because of choices we've made or choices that have been made that have affected us. We think, how could I be useful in the hand of God with the life that I've lived, with the things I've experienced, with the things I've thought, with the things I've done to others and the things that have been done to me. And we feel like, am I, I don't even know if I feel clean. There's a level of dirtiness I feel to even be used. And so I'm just fine to be outside the gate. I'm just fine if... If somebody will come by and just throw a little in every so often, I'm, I'm good with that. I, I, I want to go to heaven one day, but I'm good with just reasonable right now. I would just propose to you, though, that your level of worthiness is not predicated upon your behavior, but it's predicated upon his character. And I would just propose this question to you, that if, that if Jesus paid it all, as the old hymn I grew up on says... If he paid for it all, if, if your worthiness, your worth, your value is predicated upon what he did on the cross for you. The Bible says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Watch this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Why would I live below the level of my inheritance if there are some benefits coming my way of being a believer in Jesus? When I said yes to Jesus, I got more than dental insurance. Hello, somebody. When I said yes to Jesus, he pulled me out of a miry pit. He set my feet on a solid rock. He heals me from all my diseases. He gives me purpose for all my tomorrows. If he paid for it all, why would I leave anything on the shelf? So I don't come before him based on my worth, but based on his. And so I can set this down and go, no, no, no. I come at nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to his cross, I cling. I think so too. That I think sometimes though we... we we stay here because it, let's be real honest, it works. The, the, man, the man was making money by the gate. Here's what I know about human nature. We don't do something, no matter how dysfunctional it is, if it doesn't work. We will stay in painful dysfunction if it somehow is benefiting us. Because we... Choose the path of least resistance, do we not? I mean, think, think, remember the diet plan for January? <laughs> remember the workout plan? <laughs> yeah, that one. Like, then the donut showed up at the office. <laughs> then, then somebody put some cookies on the island at the house. Come on, somebody, you're with me. Like, we go through the path of least resistance most of the time. And, and if this didn't work, if... If there wasn't something about the sound that didn't hit right for us, we wouldn't keep doing it. Love me, affirm me, value me. 
Can somebody else, can somebody throw some coin? If, if there wasn't something about it that, that didn't work, we wouldn't continue to stay by the gate. And so if there wasn't something about the dysfunction in the marriage that we may, we may end up in a moment of frustration and anger and it may cycle around to a place where we're like, why am I here again? But there's a moment where, where it, may be a, it may be a minute after, it may be five minutes, maybe a day, maybe three days, but there's something about it that goes, this works for me. There's more for me, but this works for me. God wants different for me, but this works for me. There's something about the bondage of this that is working for me right now. I know there's freedom for me. I hear that. I see that. But there's something about this that works. And if it didn't work, we wouldn't keep doing it. Which means to move from reasonable to ridiculous, we have to be willing to find a new way. And that's scary. Because even though it's dysfunctional and it it works, it's comfortable. Is it not? And we do not like to be pushed outside of comfort. Here's the most scary thing to me, though. Is that when you choose reasonable living, you will no doubt find some people that will help you stay You will no doubt find some people. I, I don't know this for sure, but in my holy imagination, I wonder, did the people that took him to the gate get a cut? If you choose reasonable living, you'll have no problem finding some people in your life that will help you live, that will continue to add money to your jar to keep you right where you are. No, I like you to stay bitter because then I can stay bitter and we can complain with each other about our bitterness. No, no, I like you to gossip because when you gossip, I get to gossip and we can tear others down together. No, I like it when you complain about your spouse because I don't really like some things about my spouse either. And the more you talk about yours, I can talk about mine. But if you get free from that and determine that you're going to speak life and not death, you're going to speak blessing and not cursing, it'll begin to make, who will I be able to hang? So I got to keep you stuck in your jar I got to keep throwing money into your jar and keep you in the reasonable place that you are because if you get ridiculous it'll make me uncomfortable and I've just come from Virginia to say some of you need to throw the jar away and say no longer will I live at the level of reasonable I may feel unworthy it may work for me the people around me may want me to stay there but I'm throwing it away I want Don't stay outside the gate when there is a miracle inside the gate. I refuse to do it. There's got to get a holy discontent inside of you that goes no more reasonable living for me. No more living at a level of reasonable. I'm moving to ridiculous. Let everybody else think I've lost my mind. But let God be truth and every man be a liar. I refuse to live at the level of reasonable when God has so much more for me than that. Don't sell yourself short. The Bible goes on to say that Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. Peter's one of my favorite characters in all the scripture. He's like half saved. He's like 52% saved. (laughs) 
48% hood. You know what I'm saying? And he carries a blade. I'm just like, I think you can build a church with those. Some of you are like, he carries a knife. Yeah, go read the Bible, Garden of Gethsemane. They came to get Jesus. He cut his, he's not a good, you know, he doesn't have good aim with his knife. He got the guy's ear. I think he was going for something else. All I got to say is read your Bible. Jesus said, put the knife away. He never said, get rid of the knife. That's, I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just saying that's what, that's what the text said. Just want to be faithful to the text. <laughs> he said, Peter and John looked at him intently. Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. Because your level of request reveals your level of expectation. He didn't think to expect a miracle. Didn't even enter his mind to expect a miracle. He was expecting money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. But I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Now that, that's like, that's the shouting moment, right? Get up and walk. And the man got up. And he ran through the temple. Ha! But think about how crazy this request was. He lived in an agricultural society. He lived in a working with your hands, carpentry. It's not like he could get up and go be a thought leader somewhere. He had never known any other way to earn income than by laying by the gate. So he had to trade all he'd ever known to get something he probably always wanted. And many of us don't get our miracle because we're not willing to give up all we've ever known to get what we said we've always wanted. Think about how crazy that request was. I mean, seriously, think about it with me for a moment. Here's, here's the lame man laying here. Never in his life has his feet been up under his body. Never had the muscles in his legs, the, the tendons, the ligaments ever held any weight at all. He, he, hadn't gone, he wasn't going through physical therapy. He wasn't doing any leg curls to strengthen the legs to prepare him for the day that he would... All he knew was this, and all of a sudden, Peter's going to go, you got to get up, which means now that I get up, I can't do this anymore. I can't beg anymore. I can't earn income that way anymore. Think about the very practical implications of the miracle that was happening. And I wonder if in a moment he was like, I got a decision to make. Do I want to walk? Isn't it fascinating how many times Jesus would ask people, do you want to see? Do you want to be healed? Do you think he was asking them because Jesus didn't know the answer to it? I think he was wanting them to contemplate the answer. Do I really want this? Do I really want blessing? Do I really want favor? Do I really want influence? Do I really want leadership? Do I really want blessing in my finances? Do I really want to see a miracle of God in my life? Do I really want it? Because if I do, I've got to let go of one thing so I can grab hold of another thing. I've got to let go of one thing so I can grab hold of what God is asking me to do. 
And for some of us, we don't know, we, we don't know what it's like to have healthy marriage, love, passion. And so it's just easier to stay in dysfunction, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, and we don't really want to get up and walk. Are you following me? It's easier to stay lame. It's easier to stay in my dysfunction. And so my question to you today is, do you really want it? Because I'm telling you, it's available to you to move from reasonable into ridiculous faith. But to do it, you've got to let go of what you've always known and take hold of the unknown in walking with God. Well, pastor, I really want to see a blessing of God in my finances. Well, you may have to, you may have to get one foot under with a tithe and, and another foot under with a miracle offering and go, I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to walk this way, but I'm going to begin to walk by faith and not by sight. Pastor, I don't, I don't know. And I'm not, I'm not asking you to get up and start running today. I'm just saying maybe you'd get one foot underneath you today. And then maybe you'd get another foot underneath you in the days ahead, and then maybe you begin to take a step. Well, I don't know if I can walk. Well, guess what? You got a church family that'll get around you and go, we'll take a step after a step after a step. And here's what you'll find is you'll move from reasonable to ridiculous. Here's what I found. It's the greatest. I love this in that message you preached, Jabin. You said, it's in the ridiculous you find the miraculous. It's ridiculous miracle offering. No. It's where you start walking. It's ridiculous. I work all week and then get on a volunteer team. No, that's where you really start walking. You don't know what they did to me. It's ridiculous to forgive them. No, that. That's where you start. That's where you get up. I'm going to bless them and not curse them. I'm going to forgive them, not hold a grudge against them. You know what you find? You start, you start walking. You can live outside the gate. You can go to heaven when the Lord takes you from this earth. But why would you stay lame outside the gate asking for money when there's a miracle inside the gate the choice is yours reasonable or ridiculous I don't know about you but I want to live with ridiculous faith come on do you receive the word today